Amen. If you would join me in the book of James, chapter 5 and verse 7. Today we continue our wholehearted series, and I really do think that has been a theme throughout uh, this book of James is for us to live out our faith in wholehearted ways rather than there being a double-mindedness about us where uh, we are one way in public or in certain uh, situations and then we are different within our heart and our own lives. No, we're to be people who are consistent, who are wholehearted in our faith in following the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the opposite of this, of course, would be hypocrisy, putting on a mask, uh, honoring God with lip service rather than doing uh, the faithful service of the Lord. And so today we look at James chapter 5 and verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. I pray today, Lord, as we read your word, that we'd be obedient to your word. We have a number of different cravings and desires warring against us, trying to pull us away from your good design. So, Father, I pray today that we'd humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus and know that nobody on this planet loves us more than he does. And you've given us your word, you've revealed yourself to us, that we might be transformed by your grace and by your glory. And so, Lord, help us to behold the glory of Christ today as we meditate on your word and on who he is and on the lives that we've been called to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, my first job as a married man was a landscaping job at East Texas Baptist University. And we just got married. We were just in married housing there. Had like you know, 600 square foot uh, apartment. We were living in there. And uh, I had my first job as I was waiting on some ministry opportunities to work out. Uh, working landscaping for East Texas Baptist University. I, to this day, will tell you they did not even pay minimum wage, okay? But nonetheless, I was just happy to uh, have something to put some ramen noodles on the table. And, uh, and so that's where we were. But uh, so every day I'd go to work, 6.45 or so, and uh, gather with uh, my fellow uh, colleagues there, and we would load up on an old, uh, what was an old church van that had kind of been cleared out, and we brought our weed eaters and had a trailer and lawnmowers and all that sort of stuff. So we'd go out, and we would prepare to do some landscaping. Okay, and they had a bit of a hierarchy of structure there where you've got the head honcho, and of course he was over all building and grounds. Uh, then you had uh, a guy who was just over landscaping, and then you had Johnny Ray. And Johnny Ray is what made every day enjoyable to be there. He always had his antics. He always had something going, his mannerisms, none of which I can uh, use for a sermon illustration anytime soon. Okay. <laughs> 
but anyway, we had a great time with Johnny Ray. But uh, one of my first days on the job, we, we pull up, and you know it's a hot Texas summer. It's north of 100 degrees outside. It's humid, and we'd been, we worked all morning. Uh, we had lunch, and we're working in the afternoon. Every now and then, uh, we could take a little break. And so this was one of my first days on the job, and they said, all right, it's break time. I said, all right. So, you know, I go grab my water bottle, and there was a historic home there at East Texas Baptist University and just, just uh, close to the music building. And I went, and uh, there's a shade tree. I grabbed my water bottle, and I sat down under the shade tree in the front yard of that historic home. And I didn't think much of it, but everybody else kind of went, and they hid behind the house. They went into the woods. Uh, they were off the beaten path, so to speak, so that anybody who drove by could not see them breaking. And as I later learned, that was a very strategic move on their part. Because not too long after I'd sat down and was still kind of thinking about this, I see the head honcho drive by. And there I am sitting drinking water under a shade tree on the clock. And he, he drives by and he gets uh, just almost down uh, the street and suddenly you see him turn around. And have you ever been driving down the road and you see a police car pass by and then they turn around? In that moment of you checking to see if you're driving the speed limit, what is the speed limit, and did I have you know, everything going right, and in that moment of panic. At about that moment, it occurred to me why everybody else had scattered into the woods to take their break, except for me. And so sure enough, he comes, he pulls up, he flings the door open, he walks out, he is marching with his gaze transfixed upon my face. And he walks up to me and he says, what are you doing? So I'm taking a break, <laughs> you know, kind of shaking a little bit. He said, well, you know what? I don't pay you to take breaks and to drink water under shade trees. And had I been quicker, I'd have said, you're not really paying me to do much else either. But I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Uh, I, I held my tongue. And I said, no, sir. I just said, he said, I don't pay you to do this. And if I catch you doing this again, you're out of here. And then he marched back and he got in his truck and he drove off. And meantime, I'm hearing in the background lawnmowers firing up, weed eaters firing up. Everybody's working, like, acting like they've been working the whole time back there. Here, here's the reality, okay? There's going to come a day when the master returns. And the question is, what will he find you doing? What will he find going on in your life? Of course, there was kind of a context. I really had been working hard all day, and so I just had a moment where I sat down in the shade tree. Uh-huh, really, I did, okay? But the reality is, one day the master will return, and he will see the flow of your life, the momentum of your life, which direction your life is headed in, and the way that you've been living. And if Jesus were to return right now, what would he find going on in your heart what would he find going on in your life? For those of us who believe, who have faith, that is a real serious matter for us to consider. For those of you who don't really believe in Jesus, you're just kind of going through the religious motions and so forth, that's, that question's not even going to prick you because you're really not even thinking that there will come a day when you'll have to give an account for your life. But the reality is Jesus came onto planet Earth and he had a mission when Jesus came onto planet Earth as a Jewish carpenter from the little town of Nazareth, everything changed from that day forward. The course of human history was altered. He went about healing the lame. He gave sight to the blind. The deaf could hear, the lame could walk. Good news was preached to the poor. 
At one point, they came looking for Jesus. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. He went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, and he went about implementing and demonstrating the power of God's kingdom on earth. We've read many times before Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 and following, where it not only says he was preaching and teaching, he was going about healing people, he was going about performing good works and mighty acts for the glory of God, demonstrating his kingdom on earth. But here's the thing, when Jesus left, he said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In other words, his mission was not his mission alone. It was transferable. It's something that we partner with him in and that we get to participate in. Yes, he could do everything all by himself. God is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He doesn't need little Jared Burt stand up here behind a pulpit and preach. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need all of us, but the reality is he's allowing us to play. He's allowing us to participate in this grand mission that he's called us to because that is the grace of God that he would give our lives meaning and purpose. So say, well, I don't want to work. I don't, I don't want to have to do all that. Here's the reality, folks. The fact that he allows us to participate means that your life means something, that you're not wasting your life, you're not spinning your wills in this life, that your labor is not in vain because God wants to use you and anyone who would surrender themselves to him little as much when God is in it. When Jesus left, he gave us a mission. After he ascended into heaven, or just before he ascended into heaven, after the resurrection, he went about again teaching about the kingdom of God in Acts chapter 1. And here's the question we wrestle with today. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you ready for the return of Jesus Christ and all that entails the main point that James wants to make today is very, a very simple point that everything else flows from, and that is be patient until the Lord returns. That, that's really his main point. It's a very simple point. Be patient until the Lord returns. Being patient, as we're going to see, does not mean sitting around and doing nothing. Okay? It doesn't mean sitting around and uh, doing nothing. It does not mean Christianity is not just you saying a prayer and then knowing that, hey, I'm going to go to heaven one day, and so therefore I don't have to do anything on earth to work for the kingdom of God. No, the Bible says seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So today we're going to talk about here's how to be ready. Here's how to be ready. First, quiet Faithfulness, work for the kingdom. Quiet, faithfulness, work for the kingdom. James 5, 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. 
How are we to wait? We are to wait like a farmer. Like a farmer waits for the harvest, so are we to wait for the coming of the Lord. Now, here's the thing about uh, my own personal life. Um, Having not grown, I I grew up with a pasture around my house. My uncle was a farmer. My dad grew up uh, being a farmer. My grandparents were were farmers. Uh, So I grew up with a knowledge of it. But uh, by the time I came around, I wasn't participating in that. Uh, They had moved on to other things. So I never spent a day of my life looking forward to a harvest. Why? Because I did not grow up as a farmer, okay? I did not grow up as a farmer. That's just not something that I experienced growing up. You want to know who does wait for the harvest with great anticipation? A farmer's family. A farmer's family is looking forward to the day of harvest. They are patiently waiting for that day, and there are those who have spent hours tilling up the soil, planting seed, watering fertilizing endless hours, working the land, caring for the crop. And there are those around the world whose livelihood depends on this dynamic called farming. The hardworking farmer's life in many ways is what it means to wait patiently. Waiting patiently is not the same as doing nothing. Waiting patiently means that you are working in faithfulness and quietness. You are carrying out your Christian life, serving the Lord, looking for the day when God brings all of these things to fruition. Waiting for the coming of the Lord implies hard work now. The coming of the Lord uh, is likened to that day of harvest. And there are those who are ready for that day of harvest because they have been faithful in doing the job left for them to do. Uh, I can still remember the day that I was in middle school basketball and my coach had something he had to do. So he left us middle school boys uh, doing a drill in the gym unsupervised. He couldn't get away with that today, but that's what he did then. And when he he came back like 30 minutes later, And what did he find when he walked back into that gym? It was not us continuing to do that drill, okay? We had turned it into a competition where we were doing all sorts of other things that he did not leave for us to do. And if you've ever seen someone look like they were about to explode, that was the coach when he walked back into the gym. Why? Because he left us something to do, and we were doing something. It wasn't that we weren't doing anything. We were doing something. It just wasn't what he left us to do. And a lot of us, God has given us a task, and we will do something similar. We will do something that might look like basketball, that might look like Great Commission work when he returns. But the reality is, he knows, you know, good and well, whether or not you are being faithful in doing what he called you to do, or whether you're just looking busy and you're actually going to be doing something else. Be patient Wait patiently for the return of the Lord by being faithful, a quiet faithfulness to Christ. Can you imagine if um, you were a farmer and you had these fields that had been entrusted to you and you just showed up on the day of harvest without doing any work? If you just showed up on the day of harvest, that would not be a day of rejoicing for you. That would be a day day of great shame and embarrassment for you because you had not been faithful in the time of work. When Jesus returns, what will he find in 
your life on that day of harvest. We have convinced ourselves, I think one of our challenges today, why did I not look forward to a harvest growing up? Because I wasn't a farmer. Who looks forward to uh, the harvest of the day of harvest? Farmers. I think one of the great challenges is we have convinced ourselves that we are not, in a spiritual sense, farmers, that we are not kingdom farmers, and so therefore we can just go about living our lives without any looking forward to or without any concern for the fields that are white unto harvest. In our minds, perhaps it's no skin off our backs if the fields go to waste because we have different vocations, different concerns, not concerned about the coming harvest or the return of the master. And so we live distracted lives doing many things, perhaps even important things, perhaps even sometimes good things, but forgetting to keep the main thing the main thing of our lives. You are a kingdom farmer, a harvester. In creation, God gave Adam and Eve this task to have dominion over creation as his image bearers. That's who we are. It speaks to our vocation. It speaks to what we're supposed to be doing. One of the more humorous stories in the Bible that always made me feel better as a parent was the story of when Mary and Joseph went off and left Jesus in Jerusalem. And they were traveling about, and, you know, they would often travel in these big groups. And so, you know, if we understood that culture, we might understand a little bit better. But you can imagine after days of traveling, suddenly... Anybody seen Jesus? And I can't imagine, uh, you know, being entrusted with the beloved Son of God and then looking up after a few days and not knowing where he was. And so they go back to Jerusalem and they find Jesus teaching in the temple. And what does he say when they say, what have you been doing? He said, I must be about my father's business. He knew why he was on this planet. He had a job to do, and he said, I must be about my father's business. And the greatest thing the devil wants to convince you of, one of the greatest things, is that you are in a different kind of business, that there's something else that's more pressing, there's something else that's more important. But the reality is we should be able to say the same thing. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you living the way you're living? Because I must be about my father's business. That will be true of you. That'll be true of me. It's not just for missionaries, not just for pastors or ministers. That's true of every follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are kingdom farmers. Number two, here's how to be ready. Number two, steadfast endurance. Walk on with courage. Steadfast endurance. Walk on with courage. Verse eight, you too, like the farmer, you too, Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Stand firm. Why would you need to stand firm? Because it's not going to be easy. Remember the curse, the ground is cursed, which means, Adam, when you work and you till uh, the ground, you're going to do the farming and then a drought's going to come or a storm's going to come and all that work is going to seem to be pointless. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be frustration in you doing that work. And yet you are to still stand firm. You're to still walk on with courage. You're to be steadfast. You're to be immovable in the work of the Lord. Right now, as we gather, as we said earlier, there are those around the world in harm's way precisely because they are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
James is riding to a situation where suddenly the walls were beginning to close in around them as followers of Jesus began to stand out and live their faith in the public square. Because you see, we don't think about it often, but a lot of the language that's used was political language in that day. Christ, we think of that as Savior and, and Lord, and Savior, Lord, Christ, all political terms in those days. It was Caesar who was Savior, Lord, and Christ. For many, he was a son of God. When the Roman centurion looked upon Jesus, nailed to the cross, and um, began to observe what was going on, as it's been said by church historians, he probably had a coin in his pocket calling Caesar the Son of God. And he said, truly, this is the Son of God nailed to a cross whose whole purpose was to prove that he wasn't. He knew that he was. You see, this is what we've been called to to follow in the steps of Jesus since being patient implies faithfully working toward a cause, an assigned vocation, it also requires and demands of us standing firm with courage. Waiting patiently demands the kind of person who has the strength of heart to stay the course and remain focused on the work ahead of them. And there will be a million things the devil sends your way and my way to help us do something that looks good on the outside, that keeps us all together moving in a different direction from what God has called us to do because God calls us to do a hard work. He didn't say, pick up your cross and follow after me because it was going to be easy. He didn't say, pick up your cross and follow me because you're going to be cheered on by the crowds around you. He called you to do that precisely knowing that it was going to be difficult. It was going to require some form of suffering and self-denial. And he called you to do that anyway. It requires of you to walk on through the storm, through the rain, with courage. Like a farmer... um, Uh, We may spend months working our kingdom work in obscurity without seeing results. So the kingdom worker will often sense that the work itself is pointless because so much time is spent working and so little time is harvest time. You thought about that? You'll spend weeks and weeks and months working, preparing for the harvest, which quite often is a short period of time. I can't tell you how many people over the course of ministry I have seen give out in service to the church and to the kingdom because they felt like their job was unappreciated, a thankless job, like it did not matter, and they really were not doing any good. I'm reminded of my grandmother growing up who woke up on Sunday mornings around 4 a.m. to cook for somewhere north of 20 to 30 or even 40 people every Sunday morning because the house just so happened to be located right next to the church. And then she'd finish cooking, and then she would go and she'd sit in a nursery, and she would uh, sit there with babies so that parents could come into the service and worship, and she would change diapers. And I don't know if you've heard this before, but changing diapers is not a glorious vocation. Okay, it's not something that people want to raise their hand and sign up for. Uh, I have spent more than one church just trying to convince people that, yes, it's really a wonderful thing that you care for our children. It's difficult, that sign-up list. But the reality is, that's exactly the kind of quiet faithfulness God often calls us to. 
It opens doors for others. It serves others. It's a selfless vocation, and others may not ever see. Others may not see you praying in quiet for that family member, for that friend who doesn't know Christ, who has rejected all of your attempts, and you keep waking up and you keep praying every single day. You don't tell anybody about it. You just keep praying. You keep speaking kind words of encouragement to them. You keep working toward their good, and maybe you live and maybe you die, and you never see the fruit, but you continue to be faithful in quietness day after day. That's the kind of service God is interested in. Not the kind that is always interested in standing up on a stage where everybody can see. Not the kind of service where you're going to receive any kind of personal glory, but simply the kind of service that is in quietness, that's in secret, that only God who sees in secret knows about. And you do those things because you trust that one day God will be your reward. And that is sufficient for you. There's an English novel uh, by George Eliot called Middle March, actually written, that was a pen name, George Eliot, actually written by Marianne Evans in the 1800s. And it says this. It says, for the growing good, it should be on your screen. It says, for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been, is half owing to the number who live faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. There are those who will never in this life receive glory. But one day they will die and they will go to be with the Lord. And you remember that story from last week, the rich man and Lazarus? How everything changed in a moment where one is seated next to Abraham in a place of honor, and the other is in torment. Why? Because one presumably knew the Lord and served in humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And the other did not. Which story would be true of you? Are you prepared to walk on with courage for the glory of God rather than for the glory of self. Even if you receive no glory, no appreciation, no attention for what you do, are you simply waiting for those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Is that enough for you? That's Christianity. You are pleasing one master, one Lord. Is that enough for you? Kingdom work often does feel pointless because the work of a farmer requires obscurity, sacrifice, humility, endurance. It's hard work. It's quiet work. Most of it's a hidden work. It's usually not harvest time, so the fruit of your labor is not always realized, at least not immediately. But to be ready for the return of the master, of the Lord, you must walk on in courage and continue to serve him. Keep praying for those people who are hard to reach, who are hard to get through, who continue to reject you. Keep reading your scriptures. Keep seeking to understand it. Keep helping the needy. Keep sitting down with the hurting friend and praying for them and walking with them through a time of grief and a difficult season. Keep sharing trouble. Keep bearing one another's burden because that's what God has called you to and little is much when God is in it. In life, walk on even if it means little personal glory because God sees. Now, we should be a people who encourages one another when we see that happen and we do appreciate one another. We should do that for others. 
but we should continue to walk in faithfulness whether or not we receive that for ourselves. Because we all know, anybody that's had a theater production all knows uh, that people use various gifts and various talents. That it's not just those on stage who pull it off. There are dozens and dozens of people backstage making the whole thing happen. And that is life. We are to use our gifts and our services, whatever they might, that might look like, knowing that God will work through us. Number three, stubborn gratitude. Encourage one another with persistence. Stubborn gratitude. Encourage one another with persistence. Notice what he warns us from. And I'm kind of taking the positive angle on this, but the flip side of the coin is he says, verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. As hidden as your work is, it's not private. These are the master's fields, and that means that there are other farmers in these fields that you have to work nicely with. As it turns out, working well with others is an important kingdom trait. If you are complaining against fellow farmers, then guess what you're probably not doing? Keeping your head, hand on the plow and looking forward and rowing what's ahead of you, doing what you've been called to do rather than complain against one another, doing your work in a productive way. Whatever you do, your goal is to have an overall positive impact on the total outcome. And that will not happen if you are actively working against other farmers. The goal is for everyone to use their giftings to make others stronger, to make our work more fruitful, to fulfill God's mission and calling upon us, not to take out fellow farmers or to become a celebrity farmer. If there ever was, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? To have a celebrity farmer. Although I'm sure there's a reality show somewhere we could, we could pull up. All right? So this is a warning to us. If you're complaining against fellow farmers, you're not doing the job God's called you to. It's a warning to us. Too many churches are saturated with people who stand to the side and think God has given them the job of chief commentator and evaluator rather than putting their hand to the plow and doing what God called you to do and whatever your interactions are with other people, not to say there aren't going to be imperfect people and difficult people to work with, okay? That's why it says stubborn gratitude. It will take an almost stubbornness on your part to demand of yourself when you wake up in the morning, you will be a person who has the fruit of joy in the spirit and you will be a person who has an attitude of gratitude and you will continue to move forward loving the Lord with a good spirit because that's what God expects of all of us and you're working to make the other imperfect people around you stronger rather than ever take them out. And I know what some of you are thinking. I don't want to, right? Don't want to do that. Don't feel like doing that. Again, that's why it says stubborn gratitude. We must encourage with persistence. That must be something strategic that we wake up with a mind to do because you will never naturally want to do that. Love is what? Patient. It's kind, and that's not easy someday. It doesn't come natural from us. Number four, number four, eager expectation, long for the king's 
return, eager expectation, long for the king's return. Turn over with me, just uh, kind of following up a little bit on uh, that last point in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Love this passage. Convicting passage. Ephesians 4 verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Okay, so what, what's going on? What's going on is you have a vocation, you have a calling, you have an assignment, you have a task, you have a mission, and you are to walk worthily, which means to live consistently with that mission, okay? Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing one another in love, bearing with one another in love, make every effort, make every effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called, one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. This is what it means to walk worthy of your calling. We are to walk in patience with one another, patiently waiting for the work of the Lord. In light of all of this, if you do one through three, this fourth one is going to come naturally, where you eagerly expect the king's return. Notice it says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So he reminds them of the story of Job. And as I like to say, Job did not have the book of Job, okay? So he didn't have a script of how everything's going to play out. He simply knew who God was, and he simply continued to serve him in faithfulness. Not to say he didn't have much to wrestle with, and not to say that you're going to read from Job 1 to the end, and and at the end come out and say he did perfect. He didn't. He made some uh, mistakes along the way. But the reality is he remained faithful to the Lord, and at the end of that story, at the end of that story, he finds blessing and compassion and mercy from the Lord, and that is the story of all believers in Christ. You remain faithful, you humble yourself before the Lord, and God will ultimately exalt you, whether in this life or the life to come, certainly in the life to come. But in the meantime, as we walk that path with perhaps even people like Job, what do we do? We long for those final chapters of that book where things are restored, where things are made right. And those who live that way with that expectation, with that longing, the direction of their lives looks different than someone who's not looking towards that finish line, who's not looking toward that harvest, who's not looking to the face of Christ, who's not running the race in that way. Their life is going to look different, okay? Um, Several years ago, uh, Sarah went on a mission trip to South Africa, okay? Went on a mission trip to South Africa. I think it was the first time she had been away uh, for an extended period of time from the house. Still had, you know, this is like seven or so years ago, so all the kids pretty small at that point. And she had incredible confidence in me that, uh, you know, when she returned things, the house would not be on fire, wouldn't be duct taped somewhere uh, in the house. Uh, so incredible confidence in me. So anyway, she, she leaves, and every day I've got the same question being asked, when is mom going to get home? When can this house return to new management again or the correct kind of management? Anyway, 
uh, that question every day throughout the day. And finally, the day came, okay? The day they had been longing for where we drive to the airport to pick her up. And so there we are, and of course, you've been in an airport, you know, there's the time that you're expecting things, to, and then there's the waiting. And so there we are, me and uh, the kids, and we're waiting for uh, the doors to fly open and for Sarah uh, to walk out. And finally, and of course, you know, we're, we're, uh, when's it going to happen? How much longer? And of course, I don't know any of that, so you make up stories. But anyway, uh, finally... Finally, the doors fly open, and I thought we were going to have an international incident on our hands because all of them just sprinted towards their mom, almost tackling her to the ground. I think we got a picture up here. This is her return from South Africa. There we are. Okay, and they're tackling her. Yeah, that that was a a special moment. That vision is seared in my brain. That's a pale reflection, a beautiful reflection of what we wait forward to on the day when Christ returns. These, you could Google right now when you get home, Google some military reunions where they are not gone for just a week or two. They are gone for months on end, sometimes even longer, and they return home. And you see those videos where they rush together and embrace one another. Here's here's the beautiful thing about all of this. Jesus makes those reunions possible. These are reflections, they're beautiful reflections of the ultimate reunion when we stand before God. We, yes, there's some folks on the other side. I know about you, I'm looking forward to seeing that I can't wait for that kind of a moment to rush and grab hold of some people. We miss that. We long for that. And yet all of these reunions are just not even going to compare to being in the presence of the one who is love, who created all of these people that we love so dearly that we long for. He's the one who gave us these gifts. And we're going to be standing before the one who is love and life, and light. And my question is, are you ready for that day? The quiet servant who works in obscurity, who wakes up early, who prays, who spends time with the Lord, who does their business, goes about their work, the Father's business, without feeling the need to to bring in personal glory for self, just serves, just loves the Lord, That's what you've been called to do. That's what I've been called to do. Are you a servant of Christ? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We've got what I think is just about the perfect song to end with today. Be thou my vision. As we stumble and work through life, the hills, the valleys, a prayer for Christ to be our vision. As those doors of heaven fling open that we might have eyes to see the one seated on the throne who loves us, our Savior, our Lord, our friend who died for us on the cross to bring us to God. Do you know him? 
Do you have a relationship with him? If he were to return right now, would he know you? Because you've been serving him faithfully. Gracious Father, I pray today for every person here that when that day comes, it will not be a day of of shame or a, a day where they feel like they need to run in fear but a day when they are, yes, overwhelmed by the holiness of God, which is the goodness of God, shown in his magnificent love for us, his exuberant love, demonstrated so purely on the cross as he absorbed our grief and our sorrows, the pain that we feel in our hearts, brokenness, taking that upon his broken body for us pouring out onto us is grace, grace upon grace, love upon love. Oh, Lord, that we might receive that in faith today. Pray if there's someone here who doesn't know Christ today that they would trust in Jesus, not wait another day. Right now they trust in Jesus. Pray your grace to be upon us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.